Okay, we are in Luke chapter 10. If you'll open your Bibles there, we're going to jump right in. You know, as we get into it today, big idea of the text is missional living. Missional living is when you live out a genuine faith and you intentionally share that faith with other people. This is one of our values here at Reliance Church. We live out a genuine faith and we intentionally share that faith with others. Why? Well, Jesus said in Mark, Mark chapter 16, Luke chapter 14, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said that we are to go into all the world and we're to preach the good news to everyone. Go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. Now, here's the problem. The problem is is that every Christian knows this, and that command has kind of become background noise. I'll describe it this way. Years ago, (coughs) there was a a, a gal by the name of Jessica McClure. Some of you are old enough to remember this news story. Uh, She was in Texas. I forget the town, but she was in Texas. She was at her aunt's house, and there was an unknown well in her aunt's yard, and Jessica McClure fell down this well, something like 50, 75 feet, 18-month-old girl, down into this well. And, and so they became aware that she was down there. It turned into a 56-hour ordeal. 56 hours, this 18-month-old trapped down 50 feet below the ground, 75 feet below the ground. Imagine being her mama. Imagine being her dad. Imagine that. They're, they're you know, right down there, trapped... And so it became a national story, you know, CNN was there, 24-hour coverage, the whole bit, and they ended up having to dig this elaborate tunnel where they dug down and then they dug this, this, this sideways tunnel to go and reach this little girl, and, and ultimately a guy by the name of Robert O'Donnell, fire medic, was the guy that crawled through that tunnel. And, and you think about that, I mean, that is no small feat so far down in the ground, and if you're claustrophobic, just don't even think about it right now. You're going to start seizing. And this guy had to go there. Now, Robert didn't dig the tunnel, right? There were others that dug the tunnel, but somebody, listen, somebody had to go into that tunnel. Somebody had to go and pull little Jessica out. And see, that's the idea. When we talk about missional living, you know, you're that, the mama of that little 18-month-old. You're the daddy of that little 18-month-old. You're just breathing and you got a pulse and you can fog a mirror and you think about that little 18-month-old down in that hole. And you think, of course, somebody's got to go rescue that baby. And when we talk about missional living, I want you to understand that's the heart of God. The heart of God is that there are people running headlong to hell. And he desires that they should not perish, but they should have everlasting life. God is not an angry God. He is not a a, a vengeful God, per se. Listen, God is a loving God. People say, how can a loving God send people to hell? God does not send people to hell. People make the choice to go to hell. God has done everything he can to rescue and to redeem and to save. If people go to hell, they literally go to hell over Jesus' dead body. And so we need to understand that God, with that heart, when we hear, go into all the world and, make the, and preach the gospels to everybody, preach the gospel to everybody, when we hear that, it can't be background noise. This has to be, we hear it, with the heart of somebody who's breathing and has a pulse and can fog a mirror and understand there are people that are going to hell, to an internal damnation. They're trapped, every bit of like this little baby trapped underneath the ground with that 
in mind. Here's what we read. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, after what things? Well, after Jesus had called and commissioned his disciples, after he had coached his disciples, after his disciples had gone out to put feet on their faith and to share and to spread the gospel, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And then he, Jesus, said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest and sent to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. <laughs> you ever see lambs among wolves? Not for very long you don't, right? And he says, I send you out as lambs uh, before wolves. Uh, where am I? Here we go. Um, verse 4, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, <laughs> it will return to you. Lord says, hey, don't, don't carry any provisions. I'm going to take care of you. I'll be with you. You know, don't worry about the wolves. I'm going to be with you. <coughs> I've commissioned you. Um, and that's, 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 that's the thing. He says, you know, hey, you're going out as lambs among wolves, but what precedes it? I send you out. I send you out. Uh, and so he says, if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain, verse 7, in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who were exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Now, missional living, that's the idea. Look, the Bible makes it clear that God's work of redemption, it's a work that God himself does. But from the beginning, listen, God has always involved men and women in his work of redemption. We saw it in Luke chapter 2 when God involved the shepherds to herald his coming. We saw it in Luke chapter 3 when God involved John the Baptist, again, to herald his coming, to prepare the way for Jesus. We saw it in Luke chapter 9 repeatedly as he invited his disciples to, to preach the gospel. And, you know, then after Jesus' ascension in the book of Acts, Luke continues to talk about how Jesus has this ongoing ministry where he involves men and women. We see, we see the, the, the church there birthed in the book of Acts, and now for 2,000 years, the church going forward, and God involving you and me in his work to save sinners. Paul said this to the Ephesians. He said, we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works 
which God prepared beforehand that we should, that's the operative word, that we should walk in these works that God has prepared for us. We've looked at this several times, that word workmanship. It means poem. It means work of art. The idea is that there is a uniqueness to you, and there's a uniqueness to his call upon your life. He has uniquely placed you in the circle of influence that you live in. And so we all, we have this unique placement, this unique duty, this unique function, this unique responsibility. And here now in our text, it's exactly what we see is Jesus appoints 70 others also to to go out and to do this work. Now, What does he deploy them to? The verse tells us that he sends them out where he himself was about to go. Don't miss the significance of that. This is is huge. I mentioned John the Baptist as one who who the Lord involved in his work and and all, and he was there to herald Jesus' coming and all. Listen, what did Jesus say about John the Baptist? Here's what Jesus said, Matthew's gospel. He said, truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Well, why? Why does he say he's, he's nobody, man, up until this point, basically, nobody greater than John the Baptist? Why does Jesus say that? Well, one of the key reasons Jesus said this is because John was chosen by God with a specific mission to prepare the way of Jesus. This, this is why, one of the reasons why the Lord would say, hey, look, this is, a, this is a really great man. Why? Because he had this high honor to prepare the way of Jesus. So when we read here about the 70, and Jesus is, what did he do? He sends them out where he is about to go. What's, what the significance of that is, hey, John had this commission called the greatest man who'd ever been born because of that, right? And now these 70 others have the exact same calling and commission. And we understand that we have the exact same calling and commission to herald the Messiah, to to just as these 70, to, to go out. And you know, it's interesting. Some manuscripts, and maybe yours here as we're reading through, I read from the New King James, maybe you're reading from the ESV or or some different translation, and and your translation says that it wasn't 70, your translation says that it was 72 that were sent out, and you go, wait a minute, That, that kind of trips me up, is it 70, is it 72, what's going on here? This discrepancy is, is about 50-50 in about, in, in the translations, that we have, the original translations that, that we have, that we know of, half of them about say that there were 70, and, and about half of them say that there were 72. This is what's referred to as a copyist error. A lot of people think it, that's what it is. It's a copyist error. But listen, it doesn't change a thing about the facts of the story, whether it was 70 or whether it was 72. But listen, the idea of Jesus sending out 70, it presents us with an interesting thought. Because in Genesis chapter 10, there's a listing of the nations of the world. And as the, li- the nations of the world are listed, there's 70 that are listed. And, and, and so it's possible that Jesus chose 70 here and sent them out as a way of illustrating that we are to go to all the world, that we are to bring the gospel to the whole 
world. And it's the exact same thing that he would later specifically command in Mark 16, in Luke chapter 14, in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Here's the question. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? That's the question. That's the, hey, take a prayerful walk with that question. Because notice again what Jesus says there in verse 2 of Luke chapter 10. What's he say? He says, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. This is the lament of our Lord's heart. Listen, indulge me for a minute. By way of a show of hands, how many of you here have received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can I see a show of hands? Oh, praise God. Now, keep your hands up for me. Keep them up. I won't make you leave them up too long. Okay? But listen, your raised hands right now means two things. Okay? means two things. Number one, that this command applies to you. Okay, that, that, that when you said yes to Jesus, you said yes to participating in and praying for the harvest. Understand. Second thing your raised hand means right now. Hey, just, just pull a third grade here. Just, <laughs> right? Se- second thing your raised hand means right now, listen. The reason you have your hand up in the first place is because someone did this for you. Okay? Now you can put your hand down. But I want, you, I want you to take a walk with that thought. Someone did this for you. Someone did this for me, right? In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, you're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp, but they put it under a basket, and, or, and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house, He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice Jesus didn't say there that you become light. Jesus said that you are light. Paul articulated it this way to the Ephesians. He says, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Okay, this is applying to all of us who raised our hands here. Hey, I've received Christ as my Lord and Savior. You're light. You are light. And Paul says, walk as children of a light. Now, this is a high honor, right? Because Jesus had this title himself. Jesus said to his disciples in John 9, 5, he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So, so high honor, it's also huge trust, right? And it, why is it a huge trust? Because this, because in giving us the same title that Jesus himself took for himself, we are in fact his ambassadors, What does the dictionary say an ambassador is? It's an official envoy. It's a resident representative of the kingdom. That's who an ambassador is. By the way, just as an aside, when you think of yourself being an ambassador of Christ, you just think about, you know, the end times. What does a a country do when they're going to make war with another nation? What do they do? What's What's one of the first things they do? They take their ambassadors out. Right? We are ambassadors of Christ. There's a day coming when God will make war with the nations who have rejected him. And what's he going to do first? He's going to take his ambassadors out. He's going to take us out before ultimately he will come. That's an aside, not in my notes. That's a freebie. But listen, you, re- you represent the ruler. You're an ambassador. And because you, you're his representative, not your own, 
Well, you can't unilaterally implement your own, your own policies, your own priorities. In other words, you know, I, we don't send an ambassador over to England and he gets over to England and says, hey, this is pretty cool over here. Uh, I got stuff to do. Don't bother me with what you want me to do over here. No, our State Department would say, no, 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 you're coming back. If you're not going to work for us, we'll get somebody else who will work for us kind of thing. And so in light of this command, <clears throat> look, Jesus is sending out this 70, and he's saying, look, I, I'm going to send you out into every city where I'm about to go. Well, we know that by implication, same thing applies to us. He's like, look, I've sent you out where, I'm, where I want to go. And listen, where, where I'm already gone ahead of you and I'm already working, right? Because he talks about, hey, I'm sending you out to reap a harvest. So, so what's the implication there? The implication is like some seeds have been planted. God's already been there at work before you. You're just going to, to, to harvest the fruit that's already been produced. Right? One plants, another waters, but God brings the increase. And so, so there's this idea that we, listen, we, we can't live for ourselves. We need to live for others, and <clears throat> we have to have someone to shine our light to. That's the thing. You have to have people, and you've, so you think about your life. God strategically placed you in a way that you, there are people that you are supposed to be shining to. Right? And you have to do this intentionally. you got to do it intentionally. And, and we do this simply, uh, again, because we're, we're joining Jesus in the work that he is doing. We're going to reap a harvest. I love what Tim Keller said. He said, God does not merely send the church in mission. God already is in mission, and the church must join him. He said, this also means that the church does not simply have a missions department, but it should wholly exist to be a mission. I love that quote. Ed Stetzer, in his book, Planting Missional Churches, he says this. He says, missional living is rooted in the triune sending God. The fact that God is a sender is connected with the very existence of the church. In other words, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, examples in Scripture. God is a sending God, right? We see it reflected in John chapter 20 as Jesus commissioned his disciples. What did he tell them? Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, right? That's a, that's a missional commission, as the Father has sent me. He says, so I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What you see here is the Trinity reflected. You've got the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit acting together as senders. The heart of God expressed here. The Father sent and empowered Jesus missionally, and Jesus here now sends and empowers us missionally, right? And we have to understand this is fundamental to who God is. This is fundamental to who God is. He's a missional God. So missional living, it's not optional for us. And listen, it's not incidental. It's central because this is a central thing to God. He's a missional God. And, and, and this, this is something that, that it's not just incidental to our lives. In other words, we can't participate in Christ without participating in his mission to the world. We can't participate in Christ without participating in his mission to the world. And missional living doesn't happen by accident. Again, it's intentional. And notice again what Christ says to these 70, and it by implication to us, I might add, What's he tell them that they should be doing incidentally or intentionally? Verse 2, he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. One of the things you and I need to be doing is we need to be praying. 
And listen, understand, we're not praying for somebody else to go do the work. That's not the heart there. That's not the idea. When he says pray for people to go out into the harvest, he's not saying to you, you know, that your only action should be, gosh, my neighbor really needs Jesus. I'm just going to pray for him. You should do that, but, but you should not be praying for somebody else to go. What you should be praying is for the Lord to send somebody else to join you in the work as you're going. Remember, we talked about prayer. What is prayer? Billy Graham said prayer is the rope that pulls God and man together, but it doesn't pull God down to us. It pulls us up to him. So when you're praying, what's happening is, is you're coming up to God, and, and, you, and you are aligning yourself with God, and so you're praying, you're participating in the harvest because you're being sent, and what does Jesus say there? He says, uh, he says, go to the place where he is about to go, and he said to them uh, in verse 3, go your way, go your way, this is what he's talking about, go your way, not Fleetwood Mac style, not hey, you can go your own way, no, this is, this is Ephesians 2.10 style that you're going in as his workmanship, that you're doing things that God has prepared before you, that you should walk in them. And so you're, you're praying and you're saying, God, you know, I'm going the, my way, the way that you've ordained that I should live, where I should live, who I should interact with. And now I'm praying and I'm, I'm just coming up to heaven to be like-minded with you. I'm going to go my way, but I understand my way is yours because you ordained my steps. Right? I can, I can plan where I want to go, but you're going to ordain my steps, just as the, the, the writer of Proverbs says. So, so the idea here, <coughs> man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. All right, God, I want to live out my faith as you direct my steps, just looking for those God-ordained moments. And here's what I want you to understand. Culture is the context in which we execute missional living. Culture is the context in which we execute missional living. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that mission, missional living doesn't happen inside the church in the Christian bubble. When we talk about missional living, what we're talking about is going outside the church. Now, not separate from the church, but as an extension of the church. This is the idea of missional living. And so what happens is that we live in relationship with the people of our community, and we do so just as Jesus described here. Notice the communal context that we read here in Luke chapter 10. He's talking about, hey, when you go out, I want you to go out and and don't worry about taking all your stuff. Trust me for it. But he starts in verse 5. He says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. Whatever house you enter. You enter. See, in this day and age, you know, it's not like you're going to go book a hotel. That bad stuff happened in the, in the inns typically of this day. You usually went somewhere and, and were staying in somebody's house and prevailing upon their hospitality. And hospitality is a huge thing in this culture to begin with. And so he says, you go there as a peacemaker. You're, you're, not, a, you're not a troublemaker. You're not going there just, you know, boldly forcing your way in. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You just go there with a quiet and a gentle spirit. Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. And he says, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborers worthy of his wages. Don't go from house to house. He's saying, look, stay in community with the, with the person where they welcome you in. Enjoy their hospitality. 
and, and just remain there. And then he says this. <clears throat> he says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, each such things as they set before you. And what's he say in verse 9? Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Listen, what's happening here is this is a description of living in community in, in relationship with the people of your community. You're engaging in their culture. You're taking time to understand their, their needs and their desires, their hopes, their dreams, and their fears. You know, heal the sick there. Well, you don't just, you're not going to know that unless you're involved in that community with the person to, and they let you in to start telling you about, you know, those that are ill and, and so on and what they're dealing with. And so what the, the idea here is it means that you do what you can for them as a good neighbor. That's the idea. Now, we're going to look at that more next week because the Lord's going to expand from here as they come back praising and worshiping God and all. And then there's a guy that steps forward and you know, says, well, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus ends up telling them a parable about um, the Good Samaritan. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that in more detail next week. But the idea here is that relationally, we're supposed to get to know our neighbors. And it's in the relational getting to know them that we're going to have the opportunity to share the truth with them. That's implied there in verse 9. Listen, engaging culture is, also, is often referred to as contextualization. Okay? Contextualization. And what you're doing when you're contextualizing the scriptures is that you're using what the Apostle Paul called the means. What he called the means. Um, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He said, I have become all things... <clears throat> to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. In other words, what Paul's saying here is that the idea of contextualization is simply this, that we show people how the gospel is relevant to their actual lives. That, but that I may by all means save some. We're going to show them how the gospel is relevant to their actual lives. See, it stands to reason that I need to know a little bit about someone if I'm going to, <clears throat> you know, be involved in your life. I need to know something about your actual life. That happens in the context of relationship. So what we do is we get into a relationship, we have these relationships culturally, <clears throat> and we basically have to show people how the gospel is relevant to their life and is relevant to their situation. Notice I, I didn't say we make the gospel relevant. The gospel already is relevant to their situation. We have to show them how it's relevant to their situation. Let me give you an example. Right now, big thing in the news is the Me Too movement, right? And a lot of people coming forward to talk about the, the, the sexual assaults that they have experienced. And, and it's just revealing kind of a sad reality of the, of the days and time that we live in um, because you know, we, it is true. Now, I mean, you, you look at that and you, you don't know, like, who's legit, who's just, you know, doing this for publicity or whatever, but you can't get around the fact that there are men, women, and children in our society who have been sexually abused, who, who have been violently assaulted, who have been raped, who have been molested. It's a, it's a horrible thing, and it's, a, and it's a huge weight to carry around. In fact, you know, statistically, many of you, you come here to church on Sunday, this is, this is a, a wound that you have. This is a deep-seated hurt that you bear. Now, how is the gospel relevant 
to those that are in that kind of a predicament. How, how do you contextualize verse 9? Right? Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Here's the idea of that. Look, here's what you're going on in your life, and I want you to know that Jesus is right here, that he knows that. And, and so, so, you know, how do, how do you explain this truth? Well, listen, the, the gospel message is that Jesus, God in the flesh, was himself assaulted. He was himself abused. He was himself beaten and ultimately murdered. And Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus understands our weaknesses. Why? Because he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. See, the good news for those who are are struggling, maybe today for you who are struggling with, with having been victimized in the past, here's the good news. The good news is that we worship a God who himself identifies not just with specific suffering, Listen, he, under, he, he identifies with your suffering. He understands your suffering. And not only does he identify with your suffering, listen, the, body, uh, the, the Bible says that Christ, Christ covers our shame, that Christ cleanses our sin, that Christ makes us clean and righteous in his sight. The Bible tells us that Christ gives us a new name, that he gives us a new identity. That no longer do you need to be defined by what your abuser did to you, but you can be defined by what Jesus did for you. That's the context of the gospel. That defines you, not what somebody did to you, but what Jesus did for you. And, and so the idea here, listen, no other religion, there's no other philosophy that offers a God like that. That offers a God like that. And, and listen, Reliance Church, he's revealed through you. He's revealed through you, just letting your light shine, just making the conscious choice, I'm going to live missionally. Because listen, somebody lived missionally and ministered to me. And look, not everybody's going to receive you. Jesus says that. He says, you know, hey, some are going to reject you. It's going to happen. But essentially what Jesus says here is, don't worry about them, because that's on them. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting God. Ezekiel the prophet said this. He says, When I say to the the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to to warn the wicked from his, his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I'll require at your hand. God's like, look, if I I tell people I'm going to judge them and then you don't go out and warn them, it's ultimately, I'm going to, it's going to be on you. Their blood's on your hand. Yet, he says, if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you've delivered your soul. And listen, guys, I'm, I'm going I'm to cut it off right here. We'll, we'll, we'll continue this next week. But the imperative is missional living. The imperative is missional living. And I want to ask you, are you living missionally? We watch these 70 sent out and Jesus says, go your way. And, and as you go your way, you engage in community and then you just let me do the work and, and you're going to be part of reaping a harvest. The Lord wants to reap a harvest. There is no denying when you look at our world, we're going to hell in a handbasket. We're circling the wagons or circling the drain, right? We're circling the drain and right now people are going to hell and God's called you to be the one 
It's going to reach him. Are you going to reach him? Are you going to reach him? Hey, listen, it might be as simple as just, just understanding. Look, maybe the crop's already been planted. Maybe it's already been watered. That's the picture here. Picture here is you're just going to, you're just going to reap the harvest. You, know, you go, gosh, I'm, I'm kind of scared about this. Like, what if they ask me stuff that, that I can't answer? Or what if, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not the, you know, great theologian or whatever it is? No, he's invited them to go reap a harvest. Like, you, you don't know, but if you go out in bold faith, like, it could be that there's a situation where you just step out. I mean, you don't have to do anything. You just have to give the invitation. Like somebody else has already been doing all that stuff. I mean, I've had people come up to me at, at church on Sunday. I mean, we, we haven't even started the service yet. I've had situations where people come up to me and the Lord will just speak to my heart and say, In, invite them to receive Christ. Like, no worship, no message, no nothing. It's just harvest time. And you just have to say, you know, and, and there's, I, hey man, what, what was your name? You're John? I'm, I'm Ted. And look, I just want, the Lord just laid this on my heart. I just want to ask you, would you like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? He's the Son of God. He died on the cross for your sins, and he loves you. And, and, and the Lord's just laying that on my heart right now. Man, you go, oh, that's bold. No, that's obedience is what that is, is what that is. So here's the deal. We're going to close in prayer. And what we're going to do, we're going we're to partake of communion just as we always do. <clears throat> we're going to walk out these doors today, and we're going to go put feet on our faith. And I want you to go out boldly because you don't know what God wants to do. You don't know what he wants to do. But listen, it's not, it's not no, there's no pressure on you. There's no pressure on me. Because I, my job is just to deliver the mail, just to go and reap harvest. If somebody rejects it, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting God. So, so what we're going to do today, I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going to live obediently. <clears throat> but as we close in prayer, I'm going to throw the, the invitation out here. Now, I ask you guys to raise your hand. It looked like every single person in this room raised their hand that they've received Christ as the Lord and Savior, but I don't know. And God wants to reap a harvest, and I don't know what seeds have been planted. I don't know what's going on here, but we're going we're gonna to close in prayer. And maybe today you know that you need to respond and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe today you know deep down in your heart, man, when I die, I don't know where I'm going. And today you can know. And somebody maybe has gone before and told you that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Son of God. He came to die on the cross for your sins in your place. That he suffered and he died and he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered Satan and sin and death. And he says in his word that if we will ask him to be our Lord and Savior, if we will believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of the living God, we'll believe that he died on the cross for our sins. And if we confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, the Bible promises you'll be saved. So I'm going to give that invitation today. It may well be we're all Christians in here. Praise the Lord. It may well be that you're here and you're not a believer and you're not going to be a believer and you may reject it outright. That's not on me. But let's just be obedient and see what God will do. Because here's what I think. I think that in the days that we live in, if we beg God to do a reviving work, if we pray to God to do a, a, to, to, to do a revival in these last days, 
Listen, I know it's the heart of God to see people saved. We can see in our day, in our lives, in our church, we can see God reap a radical harvest. We just require faith and obedience to step out and do it.